0: What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcasts. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter, and I'm very excited to be joined by the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the Rockets G League affiliate, Mahmoud Abdul-Fattah. Mahmoud, how you doing?
1: I'm doing very good. Very good. Just uh, finished practice. So we're on the road here and uh, getting ready for Sioux Falls.
0: So there's a lot I want to talk about today. But first, let's start with your story. For those who don't know, you're the first Palestinian and Muslim head coach in G League history. And when I first saw that, I thought it was pretty cool, first of all, being a Muslim myself, uh, to see others working in and around the NBA like that. That makes me really happy. But anyways, like you got the top job in 2019 after previously being an assistant with the Vipers. You played varsity basketball in high school. You played D- D2 basketball in college. And then you transitioned into coaching. So let's start there. What motivated you to go into coaching?
1: Um, you know, when I was playing, uh, Salman, I, I knew I wanted to be around the game. Um. You know, I just I just enjoyed playing it so much. And obviously, you know, if I couldn't be a, a, profe- a NBA player, uh, the next thing is try to coach at that level.
0: Was that a goal at one point? Did you actually want to be a professional?
1: Of course, of <laughs> course, um, you know, going through high school, going through college, um, you know, being a junior college All-American um, when I was in college uh, at my JUCO and then going to Division Two. Then I started to transition uh, around that point, uh, right before my junior year started. Um, and I, I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, one of my biggest mentors, Dickie Simpkins, that played for the Bulls, um, was an AU program that I actually started coaching with. And till this day, I was stay in contact, and he's a good friend, a good mentor, but that's why I actually started me in coaching, and um, here it is, 14 years later, so
0: So as you know, Muslims are not known to venture out like that. Like this is over 10 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So like, what did your dad say? Like when you first told him you wanted to go pursue this, was he on board from the beginning?
1: So I actually started, uh, Salman. So when I was uh, 19. Wow. um, So when I was 19 years old, uh, that's when I was uh, transitioning from my Juco to my four year St. Cloud State University. And that summer is when I actually started working with Dickie Simpkins. He started training me as I started preparing uh, to go to my four-year school. And I just asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I would, you know, love to come back and help. Or if you know you wanted me to help, I would love to do so. And the thing with division two is we don't have summer school and division two can't pay for summer school. Right. So what I would do is I would come back and coach with his AU program. then I would actually go back and help at Taft High School, the school that I went to, Um, instead of being in Minnesota for the summer, I would be back in Chicago, uh, coaching high school and coaching AAU. And, you know, that's how it started. And, you know, my parents were supportive. Um, God rest my mom. So I lost my mom um, prior to, I lost my mom at the age of uh, 18 um, before I went to my four-year school. And, you know, my dad, my brothers and sisters uh, all supported me, but. You know how it is. There were a couple aunts, a couple uncles at times. My <laughs> siblings. Uh, maybe you should just go into teaching. Maybe you should just find a real job. Right. Um, but you know, I I heard all that up until I became the the head coach of the Vipers.
0: <laughs> hey, I, I've been there. I've been there, man. Like it's yep. it's just it's always gonna be like that. Um, but sure. I'm but it definitely when you see more and more Muslims make it, I de- I think that barrier is gonna be crossed at some point. For sure. So you got then you got hired by the Rockets to run their G League basketball operations in 2017. Can you explain to me how that went down? Like, did anyone reach out to you? Did you have to interview for the job? Like, how does one find themselves in that position?
1: So we're talking about when I uh, first got a part of the Rockets organization, right? Um, so uh, in 2017, uh, in September, um, Cody Topper, who's currently an assistant coach at the University of Memphis. He was an assistant coach with the uh, with the Vipers. Uh, I think that he was going into his second or third year. And he reached out to me early September and said that there would be a, a position that's going to be open. You know, we have a very good relationship. And he's like, um, I can definitely put your resume in, put your name in, if that's something that you're interested in. I was like, sounds good. Um, come around a few weeks later, um, around my birthday, September 24th, I actually got the call um, from Travis Stockbird saying, you know, hey, Cody Topper, uh, put your name in. Um, we'd love to interview you. Um, I believe there was an, uh, a group of five guys, including me. Sounds good. Uh, I didn't hear from him until about a week or so. I hit up Cody. He's like, hey, is, you know, is this going to happen? He said he's going to reach out. He reached out to me via email uh, the following week. So it's getting close to the start of college season. So at this time, I'm, I'm a college coach, as you know, Um, practices start October 15th. So I was trying to make the, uh, decision prior to, so I'm not leaving mid season. Um, so he emails me that we, they interview me and it's probably about October 20th or something along those lines. Uh, interview goes well. I hear from Cody interview goes well, but I've still yet to hear nothing. Another day goes by, another day goes by. And they said, Daryl would love, love to talk to you. So, you know, I'm thinking hopefully this has gone well. And sure enough, Daryl calls me. I can't remember the exact date, but it was a Saturday night. Daryl calls me, touch base. We have about a five to seven minute conversation. Um, And then after we're done talking, uh, Jimmy Paulson, Travis call me and they offer me the job. Wow. And I was ready to drive down the next day. But I asked them, I was like, hey, you know, can I still stay till Monday? I want to tell the team in uh, person, let them know that I'm leaving. And sure enough, they offered me the job. I talked to the team Monday night um, at 4 p.m. Um, I leave Tuesday morning at 5 p.m. and I get to RGV. It was about a 24 and a half hour drive. I make it in 27 hours. The only stop that I made was an OKC bus stop. I stopped like at 5 a.m. to pray Fajr. And then I kept going. I made it to RGV by 3 p.m.
0: By yourself? Nobody else was helping I you out.
1: When I got to RGV, Jimmy and Brozzy, and they're like, oh, you know, you, you could have slept somewhere. You don't have to make it here this fast. I was like, I'm yeah. ready to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. They're probably thinking you're an insane person driving for 25 hours. For sure. Hours. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so uh, then obviously you work for the organization for a couple of years, and then Viper's head coach, Joseph Blair, gets hired by the 76ers, and suddenly there's an opening at head coach. And the Rockets interviewed twenty five. I'll repeat that again: twenty five candidates for the job before deciding to promote you. And you found out about this after returning from a pilgrimage, pilgrimage from Makkah, which is bananas. And first of all, like, how'd you get the news? Like, who told you when you got back, and what was your immediate reaction?
1: So, so, so I actually, so uh, I was at summer league with the Rockets, and I was hoping something got decided by then. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, which was in early July. And it just kept going on week after week. And I was hoping to do something because I already committed to doing the pilgrimage about three months prior to. Um, As you know, you have to book it even sooner. But I booked it in, I believe it was end of April, early May. And I was hoping to get something decided by then. Um, I make uh, the pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, I do Hajj. And when I came back, I actually didn't get the news then. I actually got the news that they were interviewing a few more people. Right. <laughs> um, when I went to Vegas with the team uh, prior to training camp, as we did, you know, this year we went to the Bahamas, that year we went to Vegas, and they flew actually flew out two candidates to Vegas, and me. So it was me and two other candidates, and it was. Prior to one practice, Daryl Morey pulled me aside. Um, after we, I got interviewed, uh, I had dinner with him, Rafael, uh, Monty, uh, Travis, Jimmy. And next day, we have practice at about noon. And I see Daryl just walking along the baseline. And he's like, Mahmood, you know, c- come over here. I'd like to call you. I'd like to tell you something. And him and Jimmy are together. And all I see is like a smile on Daryl's face. And I'm so like, so
0: you knew, you knew.
1: I had that feeling. Yeah. I had that feeling. But you never know until you sign the contract.
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Like he told me
1: then, and uh, God bless. It was the best thing, Solomon, in my last couple jobs, I've actually been offered on my birthday.
0: Yeah, that that is insane. But, Getting offered the job on your birthday, that's, that's a blessing for sure.
1: So everything is worked out.
0: For sure. So now you've had the head coaching job for a couple years now. How are you liking it? I imagine it's got to be like 10 times more stressful and challenging, but at the same time, more fun in a way. Like, how has it been for you?
1: I enjoy every single day of it. Um, I think every every day in life is going to bring you challenges. Uh, Some of that's going to either help you grow, um, you know, or help you grow and help you learn uh, from it. And it's just, you know, what you make of it. And for my first year, um, from being an intern at RGV to uh, being an assistant coach, winning the championship, um, then, you know, COVID year, not being able to finish out that year, my first year as head coach, uh, then going to the bubble, and then now this year, um, I think it's, you know, roller coasters to say the least. But it's been, uh, I've been fortunate. Um, I'm thankful to be with the same organization for five years now. Um, you know, great coaching staff working under Mark, uh, Mike D'Antoni, uh, working under uh, Coach Stephen Silas now. I've been fortunate to learn uh, under two great minds and uh, being in the G League, every day is a learning experience. So I, mean, I tell my guys, there's, there's nothing like the G League. Um, doesn't matter where you are, who you're with, if you're in the G League, every day is different. Um, and it's a learning opportunity and I'm very fortunate to be here.
0: And what is your relationship like with other important figures in the organization? Like how often do you talk to someone like Steven Silas or Rafael Stone or for that matter, like the Fertitta family? I remember reading that Daryl Moore used to call you pretty frequently to see how things were going. Is that line of communication with the front office still there?
1: Oh, for sure. So me and Rafael will touch base um, via text or phone call once or twice a week. Um, And me and Coach Silas, probably after every game, um, that he that the Rockets play and that we play, um, whether it's, you know, a text beforehand just talking about how the guys are doing uh, and or a text after and then uh, a follow up phone call. You know, if he has a day off and I do as well, um, we're very, very cognizant of just our time and we'll touch base via phone at least uh, once a week. But we probably touch base um, three, four times a week just to follow up, see how everything is going.
0: Right. So obviously the Rockets are in like a much different fr- like phase in their franchise life cycle than they were in 2019 when you first got the job. Like they were a contender then and naturally they didn't have as much young talent to work with. And now things are clearly different. They're rebuilding and there's a significant crop of young talent. How has that affected your job on a day to day level? Is player development even more of a focus than it was three years ago? Like is the approach different or are you just working with more players?
1: I would say just different uh, because we have uh, more first-round picks uh, than we've had in the past. Uh, But player development has always been uh, an emphasis point for RGV. Um, You know, the Vipers have the most call-ups out of any G League team in the history of the G League. Um, We've had, I think, over 12 call-ups in the last three years or so. Uh, I think we had four or five call-ups from the G League. But um, with Daryl, with Rafael. Um, the G League has always been an emphasis point, you know, from having Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, Mike Frazier, Daniel House, uh, to Gary Payton, uh, to KJ Martin, Kevin Porter, Armani Brooks. I mean, I can keep going on and on. And obviously now, you know, having Daisha Nix, Josh Christopher, Usman. So it's it's been fortunate, but our front office knows and, they know that we do a good job of, you know, developing the young guys, but it's an organizational top-down effect, and they bring the right players. Um, they put the guys in position to develop them, and you know that's why we've had so many call-ups.
0: And I I, th- I believe that that point about the call-ups that also extends to the coaches. They've had like four out of their last five head coaches be co- being called up. To sure. being a coach in the NBA one day. I'm sure you're very aware of that. Um, but it That's is, it. it is something that is inc- pretty insane that they've managed to build this program, program up like this. We're going to get to the current crop of Vipers in a minute, but I want, I don't think people remember that Kevin Porter Jr. and KJ Martin are both graduates of RGV. They've both go- gone on to become real rotation players with the Rockets. How cool has that been for you to watch just having worked with them last season? And do you still talk regularly with them? Like,
1: so. Uh I'll, ta- I'll touch base with them, um, more so KJ, um, once once probably maybe a month, just check and see how they're doing. Um, but I just want them to enjoy themselves, you know. But if they ever need anything and um, I let them know when I, when I was up there, I'm obviously staying in contact and they'll shoot me a text once in a while. Um, but I, ju- I just let them be. Um, but to see them um, up top and to see what they're doing uh, and their growth and success uh, just over the last couple months, And last two years has been um i'm proud of those guys but you know it's a work ethic that goes into it and they're they're good people um they're they're willing to be coached and uh it's paying off for both of them
0: and how often do you get a chance to coach them because i remember i believe i saw you in galveston but my memory is pretty hazy from back then because i was commuting back and forth it was was a lot it was was a lot to take in (laughs) but i believe i saw you there so how regularly are you working with these guys
1: Uh, It's only prior to the season. When I was there for training camp, uh, it was a daily thing. Um, You know, I was working with uh, the coaching staff, John Lucas, um, and those guys, just whoever was on the floor from uh, KPJ to uh, uh, KJ Martin to Josh to Jalen to Usman to anybody, whoever was up there I was working with. It was just a daily thing. Um, Obviously now, being in RGV, uh, I don't get to see them as often. Uh, We definitely – You know, being five hours away from Houston, I haven't been to Houston uh, since training camp. Um, So it's definitely more difficult. But hopefully, after the season, I'll be back up there working with those guys.
0: Yeah, and with KPJ specifically, even if you have gripes with his game in one form or another, the talent is so obvious and tantalizing. Like, was it obvious to you when he first came into RGV and started working with the Vipers?
1: Of course, yeah, yeah. KPJ's. That's why he was a a first-round pick, and. Um, you know, just what he's doing now um, as a you know 30 year guy in the league, you know, he's averaging double figures uh, leading the team has had multiple games of 10 assists, but his talent is there um, and he continues to grow um, as an individual and he's going to have success uh, uh, ahead of him.
0: Usman Garuba was someone many people were surprised Houston was able to get at 23rd in the draft. Like some people had him projected as a lottery talent. Like he's really intriguing to me. He's since become an RGV regular and has worked with you all season. The defensive potential is so clear with him. He's big. He's mobile. He's got like a 7-2 wingspan, which is crazy because he's only 6-8. And his defensive IQ like really set out to me when I was watching tape on him this summer in preparation for the draft. Like what do you think it will take for him to really succeed at the next level is it really just as simple as the offensive end are there, are there areas where you can get better on the defensive end
1: you know obviously being a rookie everybody you know you always want to get better you, right smart is not a MVP Hall of Famer right now but obviously hopefully uh he will be um on uh, just with him on the defensive end um his motor he plays he plays very hard it's doing it on a consistent basis um his length uh, his ability to defend one through five um, he's been phenomenal uh, on that end. I mean, he's had multiple games with us. Solomon, that he's had, you know, double digit rebounds. He's had put up a couple double doubles, um, and I can tell you off the top of my head, he's had a couple of game saving plays uh, since he's been with us. Um, so defensively, just you know, getting acclimated just to the uh, to the NBA. Um, you know, playing in Europe, it's a different style. They don't do as much switching as we do. Um, the rules are a little bit different uh, here in the uh, NBA G League than it is um, overseas. Uh, but he has the mentality, he has the the talent, the athleticism to be good. Um, it's just, and you know, obviously he's been hurt a little bit this year as well. So you know that kind of set him back, you know, a little bit. But hopefully he can get back healthy, you know, from his injury and continue to progress. And then offensively, you know, of course George want to develop offensively. But whatever he does offensively, I think there'll be a plus. I'm on top of what he does defensively.
0: Yeah, I think Rockets fans are really excited from what they're seeing from Dasha Nix and Trevon Queen in the G League right now. They're both lighting it up. Like, Dasha Nix is averaging 20 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, 56% true shooting. Trevon Queen, 24 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, 60% true shooting. How has it been working with those two players? And could you see them becoming real NBA rotation players one day?
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think Dasha Nix is... uh, A phenomenal player, but he's even a a better person. Um, I absolutely love having him on uh, on our team. Love having him around. Um, He's a great person. You know, yesterday was his 20th birthday. Uh, You forget how young some of these guys are. (laughs) Um, He just turned 20. You know, he he might be a freshman in college. Some guys are in high school still at at the age of 19. And you know, this is his second year as a pro, and he takes advantage of every opportunity. Uh, He has a great mindset. He has a great head on his shoulders and uh, his work ethic is phenomenal. And I definitely see Nick's being around the league for a long time. Um, his growth just from being from G League Ignite Salman to being with us in training camp, from being in training camp and the showcase games to where he's at now. I mean, his development, his shooting has improved drastically. Um, his assist to turnover ratio has improved and he's taking care of his body. I mean, he, He has a chance to be very good uh, and become a very good pro. Uh, And then with Trevlin Queen, uh, same thing as well. Um, Been around him for about a year, year and a half. Having him in the bubble, um, you know, bringing him to training camp in Houston to see where his growth is at now uh, from being a role player with the Vipers to now being top five in points. I believe he's still number one in steals, um, leading the league uh, in points off turnovers. So, I mean, these guys have potential. And like I said before, um, the Rockets bring talent, you know, to RGV Houston. And that's why we have the most call-ups. That's why we, you know, we tend to call guys up from RGV and sign guys from two ways to long-term contracts. And they have good roles for us in Houston. Um, It's an organizational, organizational thing.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised that Deshawn Nix didn't get drafted. Like he was a really strong high school player, and I I thought he should have been drafted off that alone. Like he was like a top ten prospect coming out of high school. So it's not surprising to me that he's having such success right now. He's really really intriguing. Really quick before we leave, I always get different answers when I ask NBA people this. So I'm curious what you have to say. Like what is the most difficult part of player development? Like what is the hardest singular thing to teach a young player?
1: Just helping guys realize what they can and can't do and help actually help them understand, um, you know, to to lessen what they're trying to do. You know, guys at times will try to do multiple things, uh, think they're good at certain aspects of the game that they're not good at, or, you know, it's more so just simplifying their role for them. Um, But to help a 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old actually realize that and get them to buy into, you know, this is not what we need you to do. Um, this is not what you're good at. You're struggling at this. Let's focus on these aspects of the game. You know, when they were probably someone, you know, the best kid in their teenage years, high school years, AAU, yeah, being told and given the ball every single day that they stepped on the practice court, one-on-one workouts, um, five-on-five games. And now it's realization of, you're playing with the best players of the world. We need you to do these things and focus on these things in film, in practice, uh, in play development, in your summer uh, postseason workouts, pre-season workouts. So that that is, that is the biggest thing. And that's why I think, honestly, with the G League, it's a constant thing because the G League is all about development. And it's helping the guys realize every single day that they don't need – 30, 35-point scores up top. You might be able to score 15 or 20 down here, but that's not what you're going to be doing up top. You're going to be playing a role, and they need to be successful in that role. And it's not saying that you can't do that years down the road, but right now the NBA teams in the Eastern and Western Conference, they need these specific guys to help them make the playoffs, to help them get the playing game, to help them be successful two three years from now, So, what role are you going to fill? So that's what it is, helping these guys, Solomon, just understand um, what role they're going to be in, and help them grow in that area of helping them understand from the mental aspect.
0: You know, that's a great answer. Like, you never really realize that all these players, especially when you talk about players that were like super high caliber scores at the high school level, like that adjustment to like that's not why you were drafted. You weren't drafted to be that. It, It it sometimes takes a while for it to click in. Some players, and once it does, it's really beautiful to watch, especially when they're thriving in the playoffs and like high-level playoff games. Like I love seeing that. Like that's that that to me is so beautiful, and it's interesting. I actually thought you were going to say shooting because I always scoff when I see people say that anybody can get better at shooting it's, it's it's just a matter of work and it's like not everybody gets better at shooting sometimes it's like guys get so attached to that original shooting form that they have and then instinctually they go back to it when they're when they're trying when they get taught a different form it's like in the game they go back to that original shooting form so I thought that's what you were gonna say because I I, I think that's a really tough skill to teach
1: for well, sure no but I, once you have something, that's why I, my if you go back to them that's what I truly believe is that shooting part of your role. Right. Is that is that what you're going to be asked to do? And a lot of guys feel, you know, nowadays, and, and it is, the five men to the guards to the wings, everyone is shooting threes. And for these guys, they feel that's always the biggest knock on them, whether they're our point guard, wing, or our five man, everyone feels that they need to shoot the three, to get the call up, to get an NBA contract, to stay in the league for 10, 12 years. But it goes back to it, what is your role? Because there's going to be guys like Jay Sean Tate, who I think has the highest motor in the league, one of the toughest guys, one of the best defenders. There's going to be guys like Scoop, Kevin Porter, who's going to run your team, who you expect them to score more. There's guys like Garuba, who you expect to be the best defender. Are they all better at certain things than others? Yes. They're not going to be equal at certain things. Do you wish that they can all do some of the certain things? Yes, but they will never be equal. So you just want them to flourish at what they do best. And if it's your defense, be a lead at that. And that's why, like, Usman's a good example. Yeah, he's growing as a shooter, but he's here because of his defense. And if you add your shooting, it's a plus. There are certain guys – Their offensive game is elite, but if they would buy into defense, that will help them become all-stars to MVP caliber. That will help them be role players to starters, starters to all NBA guys. So it's just helping guys understand their role, and when they can buy into that, they can be successful at the other things, and you can add in once you get the NBA contract.
0: I agree, and listen. You don't need to be a great shooter to be a helpful offensive player in the NBA. Like you can be a great screen and dive guy. Like Clint Capella is the greatest example of this, right? Perfect for this conversation, right? Because R- RGV, like that that guy found a way to be exactly what an NBA team needed everywhere he went. And he's a starter, and he's helpful on both ends of the floor, and he's not a shooter. And like it, it, it can work out that way if you if you become great at those other things.
1: We have a number of guys like that. Like I said, that's why I think RGV um, and the Houston Rockets do the best job out of anybody. Um, Our development, uh, in RGV, our development in Houston has been very good um, since I've been a part of it. And like I said, that's why we've had the most call-ups. I think that that's why we're doing well right now. The guys have bought into their role, um, from Trevlin Queen to Dasha Nix to Marcus Foster's grown since we've had him in summer league uh, Fiondu Cabangeli. Um, I mean, keep going down. Khalil Whitney is, you know, so it's on and on and on guys just step in and fill the role, Tremion Mitchell. So I think all these guys have potential to play at the next level.
0: Coach, I really appreciate you coming on my dumb show to talk about this stuff with me. So this podcast will come out on Monday. The Vipers play back-to-back against the South Bay Lakers on Thursday and Friday. It's a home game in Edinburg, Texas. So if you can, go get tickets, support Coach Abdul Fatah and the Vipers. This, the game will also be on ESPN Plus and nbagleague.com. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on. I'll talk to you down the road.
1: Thank you, Salman. Enjoy your day.
0: For sure. You too. We are back, joined by Dave Hardesty, otherwise known as Clutch Fans. Dave, how you doing?
2: Good, Solomon. How you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. So I just recorded a podcast, but I really wanted to get you on the podcast last week. I, listeners of the podcast know that I wanted to get a specific guest on to talk about the trade deadline with, and I didn't want to compromise. So I just did the show by myself if, when, I, when, I, when you weren't available. So I went ahead <laughs> and went for like half hour, 45 minutes talking about the Rockets trade deadline, how I felt about it, how, what it says about the organization as a whole, all that stuff. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it's your wheelhouse, really. I mean, you, first of all, you, I think you're a smart Rockets fan. I think you're one of, like, I think if the if Rockets fans had to send like a delegate to like a conference of like fans, I think it would be you. Like, I think if they had to, if they if they had to pick somebody, I think it would be you.
2: Oh well, that's that's awfully kind of you, man. I don't know if I deserve that, but I I appreciate the words. Thank you.
0: Well, I mean, you do pay. It to, you pay close attention to the front office, all the minutia of all this stuff, and I think, like you know, the front office stuff matters, and the stuff like the trade deadline for a rebuilding team matters, and that's what we're gonna talk about. That is what we're gonna talk about. So, I just want your reaction to what they did slash didn't do at the trade deadline this year. Well,
2: I was. I was very disappointed. And the the thing is I actually braced myself for disappointment because last year's deadline when the Victorola Depot trade didn't go as we had all hoped, I was prepared because I was so angry about it last year and then later on kind of toned down a little bit. Um, so I was prepping for that. Um, but yet I was still very disappointed. I, I just feel like the Rockets are sort of taking an unorthodox approach to team building. Um, And, you know, I think I've had some questions answered since the reaction after the deadline, and we definitely can get into that and talk about some of that. Um, But I just, you know, I I feel like they're already up against the crunch next year for roster spots, Um, you know, and they can make some moves still this offseason. But I just was disappointed. I think when you consider what they actually did do, the Tice trade, um, if you, you know, put aside the fact that they had just signed him a few months earlier, then that probably was a mistake then yeah, that was a good trade. I mean, they, they got rid of Tyson's contract that went beyond 2023. They got back expiring salaries. Um, They're obviously keeping a Dennis Schroeder and um, you know, that trade was good, but it just seems on paper fairly obvious that they would be trading Eric Gordon. Uh, I mean, I thought painfully obvious given the season he's having and just everything, the way it aligned, um, and then the, the possibility of trading Christian Wood, which <clears throat> I didn't think was as pressing, but still, um, there's a lot of benefits to doing that as well. And they didn't trade either player. So it's, um, it's a different approach. Um, I think it still could work out fine for the Rockets, but I just felt like it was a window um, that they missed to, to make it a, a deal that I thought would have been helpful for both the team uh, for and for Eric Gordon.
0: Yeah, and the point you mentioned about Eric Gordon is particularly salient. And like, it's not even like you talked about how he played during the season, making it obvious. I thought it was obvious before the season that he was somebody that should have gotten moved at this year's trade deadline. I thought, you know, he's on the last two years of his contract, Houston has a limited window to trade him to get maximum value i thought he was due for a bounce back here because what he did last season was uncharacteristic of how he usually plays so he was due he was he was due for a a season where he shot normal and you know after that happened it just became increasingly likely that they were going to get significant return for him you know like i thought they were going to get a first round pick i thought i I thought that since the summer but like when you saw him play and how good he looked i was like, okay yeah they're definitely getting a first round pick i thought that was going to be like his median value and like at worst they'd be able to come out of the trade deadline with two second round picks i talked about on last week's show that there was a possibility that i may have overvalued his market the real question that I've been trying to ascertain, I haven't been, I've, I've been unsuccessful in, in trying to find out is whether or not they were actually offered a first round pick and turned it down. Like that's the key question, right? Like I think, I think I asked I asked Rafael about the offers they received for Eric Gordon at, the, at his press conference after, at the trade deadline, and you know he didn't he didn't really get into it. And I tried finding out, you know, through other means whether or not they were off I couldn't find out. And you have a better relationship with that front office than I do. Were you able to find that out?
2: Yeah, I was actually, and I I can just say, you know, Jonathan Fagan first reported to this and he alluded to it where he basically said, you know, the best offers they were able to get, uh, were late first round picks in, in this coming draft. And they weren't, I think he said they weren't irresistible. So they resisted them. And so <clears throat> I did ask Rafael in the press conference, um, about that. He didn't, you know, uh, he talked about Gordon wanting to stay here and didn't, didn't really focus on the first round pick, but it was a pressing question of mine. So I, did a lot of digging, and I can tell you for a fact they were offered multiple deals um, that that involved a uh, first-round pick in this coming draft. Now the thing is, they really don't want uh, a third pick in this draft. At least not in the back end of the lottery. They've got lots of prospects that they like um, in that range. And again, I'm not I'm not justifying this. I'm just saying the, the mindset on this is. Um, They weren't looking for a 2022 pick. Now, a future pick that was uh, maybe less protected or something along those lines. I think they might have um, done something along those lines. But the the net net here is um, in the way I could best sum it up is they value Eric Gordon on their team more than we do as fans uh viewing this team rebuild well i'm not Uh, even a fan i
0: I just i just want the like every team in the nba to maximize their their asset return like i i I think when teams make mistakes it's it's frustrating for me like like the tyrese halliburton trade uh at the before the few days before the deadline or might have been the day before the deadline drove me crazy i didn't understand it and like houston not being able to get anything for Eric gordon at the deadline was another thing. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like the fans of that team, you know, like you know they might be able to brush it off, right? But like this kind of stuff adds up over time. And I I just thought that was I was a pretty it's pretty damning. If you know, as you said, like they were offered multiple deals that netted them a first round pick. And to be clear, were those deals deals that netted them back bad salary or good salary? Were you, were you able to get you know that into the minutia?
2: Um, I did not give any specific details. But I'm pretty confident. Um, I'll just say that that um, they had uh, a deal that would have gotten them an expiring contract and a first-round pick. Now, that's yeah, that's
0: something- that's damning. That's damning. Like I, I don't care. Like what, what Houston's logic is here? Like this idea that they don't want first-round picks because they're worried about roster spots. Like I don't want to hear it. Like I've heard that so many times over the past week. Like it's such a dumb excuse. This idea. First of all you're banking on all your all your young prospects hitting right that that's that's where that excuse works out like all, all these first round picks are gonna hit and like we're, we're not gonna have any roster spots well first of all you and I both know that not all these first round picks are gonna hit you're gonna have misses you're gonna have to make trades you're gonna have to you know get rid of some young players that don't work out and this this idea that they were planning for all of them to work out and like you know what we don't want three more good young players or this idea that they couldn't get rid of the first round pick or move it for something else or move it uh, down the line for a future first round pick in a different draft you know i know i recognize that's easier said than done that, that that's just inexcusable to me this idea that they couldn't move that pick once they had it like to move it forward to like 2024 I'm sure if you waited to the draft there would have been a team that'd be willing to take on a 2023 first if there was a player on the board that they wanted right like that's usually the case so that there's a player on the board that they want and they trade up to get that pick. So I, I, I just, I don't buy it. Like I, I don't, I think that that's that's an excuse that doesn't sit well with me.
2: You know, and, and I'm, I'll just say I'm uh, more on your side on this. And let me just tell you some of the things that that do make sense to me as to why they don't get that pick. Because yeah, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's an asset. It's like taking a gift card and putting it into cash because it's going to be able to be moved. A lot easier so yes I, i'm with you but uh, but there are some things here that do make sense um one is it's not a great back half of the first round and and that's fine it, they say that every year but and, and that's fine two there are tons of teams all right tons i think there's a handful of teams that are going to have two or three picks in this first round um uh, and as a matter of fact I, if i'm not mistaken i think six teams are likely to control half of the first round and some of those are going to be trying to dump picks. Also, the Rockets um, tried to move one of those picks last year, 23 and 24, and they're much more familiar with the market of unloading a pick in the 20s and what it can get you back if you're not planning on using that pick. So it's not information that I necessarily have, but it makes sense that if the Rockets know that and it's not quite as easy as it looks, then maybe it isn't the asset that they do want that first round pick. To be able to trade, but not so early. And again, I'm I'm not justifying it, but it but some of that does soften some of my stance on it because yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that you know Eric Gordon is, is could add some value to a veteran team, but like you know, to me, it just made so much more sense. It made sense to me for Eric Gordon, given the incentive in his contract, it made sense for the Rockets given that they're going with a youth movement. And of course, once the trade deadline passed, we saw KPJ and other players talk about how important Eric is to the team. And, and you know, Rafael uh, Stone said as well that, you know, Gordon wants to stay here. So it, it threw me for a little bit of a, you know, threw me a curve because I didn't expect that. I expected, you know, Eric Gordon to basically be wanting to play for a contending team. Um, so, you know, but I also, I should add as well, I wouldn't completely rule out him staying here. I, I still think he's likely that, will be treated this offseason, but I wouldn't rule it out because um, the Rockets really want one more year of like being bad, if you will. I don't think they're trying to be bad. I'm just saying that, that that's what they, you know, the way things shape out to be. And then they want to go all in on 2023, 24. And Eric Gordon has a team option in that year. It's a non-guaranteed part of his deal, but it's kind of underreported that it's technically a team option. He doesn't have to hit those incentives. The team can just pick up. Uh, the rights to that, that final year if they want. Um, So to me, I think that's the wrong approach. I think you should look at a different way, but you know, in Eric Gordon's mind, and if you talk to him directly, he's got three, four good years left in him. And so I think that's, um, you know, kind of how they came to that decision, but yeah, I'm with you. I just, thought it made more sense to especially if there's going to be some prospects in my opinion that will be available in the 20s i always throw walker kessler's name out there but like there's some guys that could be really good for this team um and so it was a little bit disappointing but again i understand it a little bit better than i did on trade deadline day
0: yeah, the the only way I see them turning down a first round pick as a defensible move is if they actually could get that same first round pick if they wait, which is what where I'm skeptical, right? Because I think you're getting one less year of in the playoffs of Eric Gordon, and I think if I'm a team, I'm gonna leverage that against Houston. Like, hold on, I'm getting a 34 year old on an expiring contract with an injury history. Like, I I'm not sure if I I want to give up a first for that. Like, like th- that's kind of where. If you want to make a, if you want to mount a defense for Houston, you'd be like, oh, well, they could theoretically still trade him for a first. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they can actually get. And if they, if they do choose to unload him, I'm going to seriously analyze the hell out of whatever return they get because that, if they can't get a first, and as you're saying that they were offered a first, that's it's damning. You left a first round pick on the table. I don't care about roster spots. I don't care if you you don't view that the the twenty three twenty twenty three draft as as a good draft. I recognize that they've already traded out of this draft. You know, technically they moved the Milwaukee pick from this year to next year. So like they they have a case to be said that oh we've been pretty consistent about not liking this draft. I recognize that you can still just take the player, like just take the player and then try to move the player later like it's not even like it's not it's not even a like you get the pick and you don't have and like it just goes away right like like after after draft night you can no longer trade the pick you can take the player trade the player later on down the line if you really don't like the player and you can get it something is back
2: it's, it's kind of like the, the analogy they always use is kind of like driving the car off a lot right like usman garuba could technically be that you, you know might fit that that definition and You know, once you select the player, it's not as valuable as this pick that could be any player that a team likes. But but you're correct. Now, I I will say this, though, that um, if they are able to trade Gordon, let's say it's this offseason and they get a 23 pick. Would you agree that ends up I'm I'm playing more devil's advocate here? I'm not trying to debate this. I'm just saying, would you agree that's a better option than uh, a late 2022 pick?
0: I suppose. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, if they can, if they can do it, like, I'll eat my words. If they can still get a first despite not moving him at this deadline, then I'll eat my words. I'll say I was wrong. They, they clearly maximized the return they could get for him. Right. Like, and like, I'm not even analyzing the draft classes. Like, I think they should have just gotten, been able to get a first in general. And, and yes, all firsts aren't created equal, but still it's like, we'll see. I guess we'll see what they can get. Like that, that's, that's their saving grace if they can actually still move him.
2: Right. And a a good example would be um, Phoenix, because, you know, we're talking about Phoenix and, and I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I don't think uh, just yet, because I don't think Phoenix was one of the big players um, at the deadline, but Phoenix can trade their 23 pick once this 22 pick is used, which is going to go to OKC this, this summer, but Phoenix, if they come up short and, you know, we've got Chris Paul now out six to eight weeks, you know, going in before the playoffs um, you know, that might be a team that, that, gets involved here um Uh, utah is another team
0: like like there's a lot of teams that are in steppy and real handcuffs which is basically when you can't trade a pick until the draft comes up uh and then you can trade the pick that that comes up like like you can there are ways to like maneuver that that teams oftentimes do you know when they're they're loading up for a season so yeah i get what you're saying
2: right so like phoenix will be out of it and phoenix will then you know have the situation um where You know they could trade that pick, knowing, hey, we plan on contending this year, so it's this we expect this pick to be 25 or so. Um, Again, I don't know if that's you know an enticing pick to Rafael Stone or not, but you know at at this past deadline the best pick they could trade was 24, and at that point if they trade 24 they can't trade 23 or 25. You know what I'm saying? So it it may be more advantageous for Phoenix um, to to make a move for Gordon in this off season and and I would think it would be more if they um you know come up short but it, that's all based on the owner over in Phoenix I mean the, they have luxury tax concerns and that is what's driving their decision making so you'd have to come up with a way where you know you're taking equivalent salary because of that
0: yeah i I'd, I'd rather like if I'm using I'd just rather have the bird in the hand right I, what's the full expression bird in the hand versus what what's the, what's the, what's the alternative there
2: uh you, two in the bush i think or i think that two in the bush
0: a, where does that come from like what What the hell does that mean like i, 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 I don't know okay whatever whatever it, whatever the case i'd rather have the the bird in the hand i'd rather have the concrete asset at the deadline oh. assured than gambling and seeing if i can get a better asset because they've they've this front office has taken a lot of gambles on assets right and and a lot of ga- a lot of gambles have failed right like for example uh opting to trade olodipo for a first round pick swap versus taking a second round pick, right? Like taking whatever you can get, which is probably a second round pick or two at the deadline. That that swap is not gonna convert. It was a gamble that didn't pay off. Right? Like uh taking Ola Depot in general over Karis Levert, which I don't want I don't want to spend too long on. That was a gamble that didn't work out. Right? Like right. so this is another gamble and we'll see if it works out. But it's it's uh they're playing a game here that's uh really dangerous, I think.
2: Right, and I think that was, you know, leading up to the deadline. That was my whole concern, because I could just see this, we're going up this hill, and if they don't make the obvious deal here, because I mean, you know, you mentioned trading Eric Gordon at this past summer, and Eric Gordon, I mean, yeah, that that was certainly very possible, but from the start of the season all the way up to the deadline, the guy was playing out of his mind. He can't play really any better. I mean, he just was looked like he was going to fit beautifully on a contending team, and you know there were teams that were interested in everything. So it made so much sense to to make that deal. I think they're, that they've had some hits, they've had some misses, um, and and you know you definitely nailed that one on the the Old depot part of it. I, I think I think there's just some. Uh, when you look back at some of the deals, understanding the market, maybe, uh, you know, not really understanding how Oladipo depot and how, um, you know, maybe he had some injury concerns or, and maybe why Indiana was looking to move him because there were reports about other teams understanding that. Um, I think that <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't like that trade at the time. I think right now, the only thing they have left is Dennis Schroeder from the deal because, you know, o- Olenek to Tice to now Schroeder, but you know, uh, it seemed like a decent bet that it, they would maybe go up five, 10 spots because Brooklyn you would think would be a top contending team. But I just, what I didn't like about it is that it had no, that it had a lottery protection on the swap. Um, I just felt like Miami, you know, something like that should be, you know, top four protection at best. I, I just, I just felt like there should have been more upside. Um, Right. Like, like, again, all these
0: moves are defensible in the, in the moment. Even the Daniel Tice contract, I thought was defensible in the moment. I thought that was a good deal. Like, I thought that was a good asset play. I didn't, I didn't like the basketball fit, but I thought, okay, like, there's, it's reasonable to assume that Houston might be able to trade Daniel Tice for an asset down the line, right? Like, if, if he's, if he's a starter for them, if he actually produces and a team values that production and trades for Tice at, at the deadline or, you know, next year's deadline, whatever. You know, like you might be a good asset for it, but you know, again, you can defend all these moves individually. You have, when you look when you zoom back out and look at the bigger picture, you have a bunch of defensible moves that didn't work out, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way of summarizing it. I mean, as far as Tyson, I mean, you know, it was for me the problem at the time of the signing was that it went beyond 2023. But um, you know, I mean, the fact that they were able to move him quickly for expirings, I mean, they didn't get any assets as far as picks but they were able to move them for expirings to, you know it shows that someone was willing to take that contract so it wasn't a negative value contract but I just didn't think it fit the Rockets plans even even the plans that you know they have I, I would think right now they would have had been as well it, to, to you know shoot for the playoffs and contending in 2023 so but yeah no I mean there's there, like I said he I think Rafael Stone's made some good moves there's some moves that have certainly been questionable there are some moves that our TBD, right? I mean, we, you know, uh, you know, going with Jalen Green over Evan Mobley is still to be determined, even though I think we're all still high on Jalen Green. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and and there's one other factor here as well in trading Eric Gordon is that, you know, people are kind of looking at this like this is a very important draft and Eric Gordon's won two games with, with, you know, if not buzzer beaters shots in the final seconds. So, um, you know, he's an, a key player. I think that without him, the, the Rockets haven't won a game this year. So kind of looked at it like, hey, let's give Josh Christopher and some of these other guys more time and pick up a few losses along the way. So um, it just it, it didn't seem to fit what fans perceived as the logical move.
0: Yeah, it just seems like, and you talked about how moving Air, Gordon was the obvious move, right? That's the word you used, right? I think that's a yeah. great way of putting it, right? I feel like this front office oftentimes there's a resistance towards making the obvious move, and they get a little too cute, right? They get a little too smart for their own good, right? This this is a quote from the press conference that I thought, uh, I looked at it, and I just shook my head, right? Like when when while he was speaking, I wrote it down, and then I tweeted it, and then I looked at the tweet later on. I'm like, oh, good god, I can't believe he said that. Uh, here's the quote. We're not trying to shake things up, just to shake things up. The mere fact that you get an offer, even if it's a good offer, doesn't mean you necessarily do it.
2: <laughs> you know, it's that's interesting. Um, I, I hadn't really dug deep into that, but now that you actually read it back to me, yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't sound great. I mean, I you know, it's funny. We we talk about this, and it's and it's too small, you know, of a of a tenure to to say this for sure but you know the Rockets were heavily criticized under Daryl Morey of being just assets focused and not about people not about chemistry not about players and now it feels like it's like way on the other side swung way to the other side of it this is family and these guys all you know get along and and you know they look at him as a leader and a mentor and which is fine there's a lot of positives in that but I mean like there are 13 guys under contract next year, not even including Schroeder who, you know, based on how he plays, they may want to try to bring back next year. Um, And they're certainly giving him a decent role right now. So, um, you know, it's, it just throws me for a loop. That's that, that's not even including the two first round picks that they have, which are going to be guaranteed contracts. So, you know, guys like Nawaba, you know, obviously John Wald, who's taken up a spot, you know, uh, Gordon Christian Wood. I mean, something has to happen. And I just thought that it would, it, some of that would happen at this deadline. Um, but I'm, you know, it, now at this off season, they've got to get to a point where they got to make some changes because you can't just, uh, you know, build a family and, you know, expect these, these spots to be available when you're trying to add different talent.
0: Yeah, this worry about trying not to piss off agents. Like, listen, you're a general manager. You're going to piss off agents. There's there going to be some agents that are always upset with you, no matter what you do. Like, just imagine the amount of players that want to stay in Houston, but Rafael is going to have to trade them at some point, right? Like, that, that's going to happen all the time. And you're going to piss some people off along the way. Like, you shouldn't worry. Like, your central focus as an organization should not be trying to appease these guys. They're always ornery. They're always mad about something. They're always in someone's ear about something. Right, like this, this idea that you that you're gonna you're gonna make these people happy, like I I just I don't I don't I don't jive with it. I don't I don't think it's a it's the right way to run an organization. Now that being said, I do believe I was I took it one step too far in saying on last week's show and saying that this organization has a weakness in asset management. They don't have a weakness in asset management, right? Like I I think I just think they've made some mistakes, right? Like the James Harden trade, like overall. I still think it was a very good trade. Like the amount of unprotected first round picks and first round pick swaps that they got, I still would have taken that over Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibault or whatever the other offer was from Philly. I thought that was the right move. I thought the Christian Wood trade, like the series of transactions that led to them getting Christian Wood, some of the, some of the best deal making I've ever seen, right? Like, like they, the fact that they ended up getting, you know, they ended up netting first round picks and uh, Christian Wood. Uh, that's that's insane. And the Tucker trade, the Tucker trade was good, right? The swap, the trading the, the second round pick for a first round pick and then moving the 22 to 20, 23. I thought that was, that was a good move, right like, like you didn't like it looked like the most that you could have gotten at, for, at that point for Tucker was two second round picks, and instead they got something more meaningful than that. It led to them getting Josh Christopher, right like so I, I, I think this I, this idea of them being this being a weakness of the organization, I, I probably took it too far. But they're making; they're starting to fumble the ball a little bit in a, a few key areas in the through line from Karis Levert all the way down to Daniel Tice. I think that's probably the clearest through line, uh, along with what they just did with what they just didn't do with Eric Corden. Like I just, I'm I'm watching them carefully. I'm giving them a, a lot of benefit of the doubt based on their past moves, but they they're starting to make some mistakes that are uh, questionable to say the least.
2: Yeah, um, you know, and and I should. Uh say, so, you know, they're, they're very smart. Felstone's really smart. Eli White is very, very smart. Um, you know, they, they obviously know these things and, and beyond that we discuss and everything. But yeah, I, and I don't know if it's appeasing agents as much as just, um, you know, they're, they're looking at, they're placing a higher value, I think, on vets and, um, and, you know, mentors and guys to teach, to teach the young players. And that is important. It's just that, you know, when there's a significant value for somebody like an Eric Gordon or when it's obvious that Christian Wood isn't, um, you know, quite fitting, you know, long term, it just feels like trades need to be made. But I think they're still in this mode where they're giving it, you know, Christian Wood is a good example. They're giving it the best chance that they can um, to see if Christian Wood gets it if you will, you know, I mean, he's, he's a poor defensive player. Um, he's, he's an exceptional offensive player, lots of positives with Christian Wood on the offensive end. I mean, there's some issues in passing and sharing and, 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 you know, moving the ball and things of that nature, but um, you know, they're still in that mode where they're looking for high end talent, not just, you know, the, the, you know, I guess the, the way I would put it is I think they would, could probably be confident They could get somebody who's a little bit better than Christian Wood, but wouldn't have the upside of Christian Wood, And I'm not trying to d- defend it to say that's why he's here or anything of that nature. But I think, um, you know, they're still looking for him to, to, you know, get it or, or start improving defensively. And I think maybe, you know, this off season, if it's, that doesn't happen, then they're probably going to have to just say, you know, cut their losses and, and, and uh, move on, but that's not to say as well that they didn't try to move Christian Wood. There were some offers that you know, or or discussions that happened. It just didn't, you know, no no offer wowed them. But uh, that's I think one of the big reasons Christian Wood's still here.
0: Yeah, I just think like I, I didn't have actually didn't have a problem with them not dealing with Christian Wood. Like I I changed my mind as the weeks the weeks leading up the trade deadline. Um, you know, as we got close to the trade deadline, I ju- it just became pretty clear to me talking to a lot of people that his market was suppressed. Uh, and uh, you don't trade a player uh, that good for under his market value as, as a rebuilding team. You, you don't trade, you try not to trade anybody for under market value as a rebuilding team, unless they're a flight risk in, in which case you trade him for whatever you can get which is not the case with Wood here right like he's under contract for another season he's not a flight risk uh there's no need to rush out to trade him for whatever the hell you can get you should, I think you you know I, I had no problem with them keeping Wood uh it's just the other stuff that that I just I I'm I'm kind of you know raising my eyebrow a little bit at what they're doing
2: and the the draft is the next big station here right like the draft let, let's see if Rafael Stone can now kind of get back to us you know sharing memes and things of that nature of you know kind of like we did with Daryl about him being very good at at this gig because he has had some some good moves but you know at the draft can they package one of these guys or Gordon and and move up there's going to um you know say with the Brooklyn pick to move up a few spots you know there's going to be some teams in the late lottery I think that are wanting to take a leap and maybe they don't want to take Dyson Daniels or somebody along, along those lines, who's going to take two, three years to develop. Um, but you know, if the Rockets are able to package one of those players along with that Brooklyn pick, for example, to move up five, ten spots, then you know that would be s- certainly fantastic. I think it's the draft now is the next thing we're hoping for, where where they're going to be able to move some of these guys. Nawaba needs to be moved. Um, you know obviously John Wall can they revisit a, a Westbrook scenario or, or something else. I think Wall um I think he's gonna get traded, believe it or not. I mean I, I really do. I, I think somebody's gonna take him at this offseason. Um but you know we'll see. But like they've got to create roster spots. And that's one of the big reasons they can't take three first round rookies is because they're pretty stacked and their their roster's pretty full.
0: Yeah I'm surprised he didn't get bought out. Like I thought that was like after the trade deadline when it became clear uh to paul to to wall and his representation that there wasn't a market for him that they would swiftly try to get him bought out, and that wasn't the case seems like it you know they're gonna wait to the off Houston's gonna wait to the off season to make it to make a decision on that um I thought that yeah. was
2: a give- a couple of months ago I thought that was a given, but then once this for us. Wall things started to happen, and you've probably seen some of the recent reports now. But once that thing started to happen, then I felt like those two were linked together. That it's that it, if he didn't get traded, those two didn't get traded at the deadline, then the Rockets were going to hold out and wait, um, till this summer. But you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's not pressing, they don't have to do anything right now. Like, I, you know, with Wall, they can buy him out now, they can buy him out in the summer. They can, I mean, all that, all that we're really talking about is uh, the amount that he gives back to you. That's that's really what what matters when we're talking about a buyout right that's the only incentive houston has to do one is to to get significant money back um and and get the roster spot as you mentioned but
2: and it has uh, has to be a significant savings because once they make that buyout i mean it's just dead cap that's why you know like we talk about the rockets doing it and it's not that big of a deal but the lakers could not buy russell westbrook out i mean they're not going to get that salary any other way they need to to trade it to to get back salary pieces and uh, you know to be able to flip another deals, the Rockets are holding on to this salary as long as they can, until all trade options are completely exhausted.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, like I think um, I I would probably I, if I were Houston, I would try to hold on to him for sure because it it seemed like there was not not a not more of a market, but it seems like there's a possibility of a market if you wait. Uh, he's going to be an expiring contract. Uh, he's going to be more appealing to teams that may want to. You know, take a gamble on him, uh, or uh, not even take a gamble on him. Just get money off their books, right? Like, let's just say a, a team like Dallas, right? Like they want to, they want to get rid of um, uh, who they just trade for from the Porzingis deal. Ben and, and Davis Bertans,
2: yeah, right. Like, let's so just a- it.
0: Yeah, let's say they want to get rid of Dimwitty, Bertons. I'm not sure if that quite adds up. They might need to throw in an extra salary. But let's say they want to get rid of those two and, and completely rid themselves of the Porzingis contract over two trades, right? Um, then there might be a market for them. Let's say the what, that you know the Lakers get really desperate in, in terms of trying to upgrade their roster in the summer and there isn't a pathway for them. Then they might see a wall uh, for Westbrook deal as appetizing for them. Um, you know, like the, the, So I, I have no problem with them waiting on wall.
2: You're exactly right as far as um, – and I actually am talking about this as far as Westbrook's market opening up a little bit. I mean, I, that's a great example Dallas, but I was using the Knicks as an example. I mean, I watched the Knicks-Brooklyn game, and I watched them collapse from a 28-point uh, lead. And, I mean, I, I don't think I've been upset so at any game this year like I was at that game because I, I'm all about the draft pick with the Rockets are going to get. And I just was like, man, if I'm the Knicks, I'm, I don't mind – unloading Julius Randall and Evan Fournier for Westbrook um, and, and possibly get getting a draft pick or something on those lines to get rid of those contracts and and then as as a Knicks you know our, the Knicks team has like unlimited cap space basically uh you know going into 2023 because I don't think anyone is under contract at that point um currently so you know there are going to be I think a few teams that would be more open to Westbrook and uh unprotected first this summer than they're worth this deadline.
0: Uh, it's it's, it's, inter- it's going to be interesting to see how those two players and their situations get resolved. Uh, it's been weird this year with wall, but it hasn't been disruptive to Houston's causes. So I, I, you know, again, I don't see why it would be pressing. There was that one flare up where it seemed like Wall wanted to come back Uh and uh the Rockets were like, okay, you can come back, but it has to be off the bench. Then Wall didn't want to come back anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah. I thought that was going to, and I, I think that was what I thought was going to happen after the trade deadline that maybe, you know, John Wall was being told, we're going to look for a deal. We're going to look for a deal. And then once it didn't happen, but you know, we, we're not hearing anything from, from his camp now. Um, other than, you know, the report that came out uh that that, you know, the clutch agency was extremely disappointed with the Lakers for not making that trade. Um, you know, and uh <laughs> so uh, you know, to me, I, I think that he's probably gonna be on board. I'm surprised he's willing to miss an entire year. I thought for sure he was gonna want to join a playoff team this season, but you know, he, he probably also loves his money too.
0: Yeah. Listen, like I, I'm really happy you came on here to do this because I, I only wanted you for 15 minutes, by the way, we we spent 35 minutes talking about this because I knew it was going to be good. I knew it was going to be good. I knew you, I knew you had a lot of stuff to get off your chest. I knew you did. And you, and you certainly did that today. Um, do you have anything to plug or your social media or anything?
2: No, I'm It's all good, man. I just collect fans, uh, the website or on, on Twitter or, or what have you, but yeah, I pre it's always, I've enjoyed chatting with you, man. And, uh, you know, we'll do it some more because the draft is going to get really interesting as we as we get closer.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I have the bandwidth for a draft right now. Like the, the draft is going to take a like, especially because this draft does not seem to be as talented as last year's draft. So like it's going it's going to take a lot for me to watch yeah. these college players uh, play basketball, especially since since they have that Brooklyn pick. So I have to scout players down in that area, which is going to be brutal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's uh, that pick is, uh, I mean, I'm really hoping your, you know, your, your guy Ben Simmons doesn't come back too soon and he takes his time and, and, and this mandate stays in place because they've got the eight games after the Ulster break that Brooklyn has are brutal. And this is going to tell us a lot. I think there's only 22, 23 games left for them, but these next eight are all against top Eastern Conference teams. And uh, it's going to tell us a lot about where the Rockets, you know, might end up drafting.
0: Well, on a positive on a positive note, at least they're priming themselves up for away court advantage, right? Like, they're like that's kind of what you want if you're
2: Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no question. But it's funny that they're being in the play in right now. It's like if they were to finish nine, I think they have one home game where like they got to win it just to go face the winner of seven eight. That's so. not
0: happening. Yeah, it's it's uh, Kevin Durant's too good. Like they're they're, they're going to make a run at some point. They're you they're going
2: correct, and not and not only that, the the teams that are nine and ten right now are just completely laying an egg. I mean, it's just, it really, it looks like the floor is eight for them. Um, But, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll see so far so good as far as Toronto, Boston, and those teams playing really well uh, and keeping the nets there. But yes, once Katie comes back um, that team's going to be pretty good.
0: Yeah, I remember I was talking to someone after the trade deadline and uh he asked me he's like, "Can you explain to me why Brooklyn's odds are still so high for a title?" And it's like Kevin Durant. Like it's you know, I, said, I said two words, Kevin Durant. Like it's that's 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 why the that's why you can't completely el- eliminate them from the title picture because they have that guy. And
2: you know, I mean, you and I have had our debates about Ben Simmons, but I mean, he goes to a team where he doesn't have to worry about all that stuff. So, I mean, let's see how he looks when he gets back, but he's going to be, you know, the third guy on that team, you know, if they're all out there playing and they've got, you know, outstanding shooters, at least they will theoretically Patty Mills and Seth Curry. And then whenever Joe Harris gets back, but I mean, that team could win it this year. If things go, if, you know, they align properly, you know, as far as health and everything in the playoffs, but I, I don't care what they do in the playoffs. I just want them to be really terrible the rest of the way for regular season purposes.
0: A true fan to the core, watching other teams play basketball because your team owns one of their picks. That's Dave Hardesty. Thank you so much for coming on, man.
2: (laughs) You bet, man. Appreciate it.